All right. Good evening and welcome to what will be our last Wednesday uh, through the summer. Wanted to get through First Peter and as we've done over the last uh, several years, we're going to take a break, um, which seems odd since nobody's here, but uh, we're going to take a break, give our team a chance to sort of regroup as they've been incredibly busy and uh, have taken the the share of the load through through this season of COVID-19. Can't tell you how much we appreciate you guys being a part of this. What a crazy concept that we could have church and nobody could be here. I was just sitting in here uh, looking as we were as we were having worship and just, I can't remember the last time we gathered together on a Wednesday, but we look forward to it. We'll do it again starting in August and uh, we'll keep you updated through the summer about when that will take place. But this will be our last one. And so a big thank you to Elijah, to Amanda, to Josh, to TJ, uh, to Charles and Mel for all of their teams and their help for worship during this season. And once again, to Shane, to Mike, uh, to Jess, to their teams and all the volunteers that make these recordings possible. Um, the number of hours, the number of hours and effort that they put in, we just can't say thank you enough for that. And ultimately, thank you for joining in. Uh, it would be sort of pointless for us to have all of these measures and means to make uh, this possible if nobody joined in and uh, I'm, I'm honored that you are and uh, truly appreciate it. We're going to wrap up first Peter five and um, Peter's letter uh, certainly has had some connecting tissue to the to the season that we're living in. Um, it uh, it continues as you as you watch the news and see what's going on. Our world continues to um, continues to struggle to find its way to the top of everything that's going on. Um, people are affected by it in ways that you and I probably can't imagine at times. Uh, you throw on top of that the COVID-19 struggles uh, and the fears associated with it and all of the abnormalities that have come our way over the last three months. It's been an incredibly difficult season. And Peter's talked um, to a group of people who suffering, who were living at home, loving the Lord, and unbeknownst to them, a evil ruler uh, decided that he needed to place blame away from himself for an action. And so that's, not, that's what Nero had done. Nero had placed the blame of the burning of Rome on the Christians, primarily Gentiles, and subsequently those people endured enormous amounts of suffering and persecution. They find themselves completely transplanted out of their home into what's now Turkey, Asia Minor, and spread all over that area trying to make sense of their life and trying to make sense of what's taken place. And so many of, many of Peter's admonitions and encouragements to the church there in Asia Minor certainly apply to what we have been given during this season. And primarily that is that we are, we are a people who are identified not by a political affiliation, not even by a cultural affiliation. We are a people identified by the blood of Christ. We are a people identified as messengers of hope in a dark world. We are identified as people who act abnormally in relationship to the world. And therefore, Peter says, listen, pay attention to your relationships. They need to be defensible. Whether it's husband to wife, whether it's slave to owner, right? Ultimately, whether it's 
one to another, we need to have defensible positions. Positions where we don't return insult for insult. We don't return evil for evil, right? But we're reminded that as alien sojourners, as these people were, right? Living in a new environment, in a new home with a new stranger right next to them. Peter said, listen, we need to conduct ourselves in a manner that's defensible. And those defensible positions are the opportunities that we now have as a church in the world that we live in. Listen, so much of the stance that we take as Americans is this, it's completely indefensible. And here's the thing. It might be defensible to you, but to the person sitting next to you, depending on the color of their skin, depending on how they've been raised and what culture they've come through, right? Depending on what their life has thrown them, their perception may be different. And so we find ourselves in these, these battles that go on and on and on. And ultimately, all they do is not divide our country, but what they ultimately do is they minimize the impact of the true message the church has. And that's not to pick a side of right and left, right? That's not to pick a, a, a an animal, a donkey or an elephant, right? Our job as messengers, ambassadors of Jesus is to beg people on behalf of God, to, on behalf of God to be reconciled to him through Jesus. That's our job. And so many of the So many of the words that we say and the things that we post on social media. Listen, we have no idea the barriers we put up on social media to defend the position as an American. How contradictory they are, right, to the message of the gospel. And we think that we're doing the right thing when in reality we're simply hurting the most important thing. And that is to make it hard for people to reject Jesus. And so Peter talks at length in his letter to these suffering people. Now listen, we talked last week about suffering. And suffering isn't persecution. Persecution is the idea of being pursued, right? Being physically harmed. Suffering. Suffering is at its root, this emotional weight that we carry as human beings. And what I know is whether you're a Christian, whether you're a believer in Jesus, whether you're a churchgoer, whether you come once in a while, whether you have no affiliation, Everybody is familiar with suffering. Everybody. And if you weren't before COVID, my guess is you are now. Listen, there is emotional weight and suffering in our world today. Such that is common to every person. Your story and my story are similar in the sense that we all know what it feels like to carry weight emotionally. The most important thing a church can do, the most important thing a Christian can do when confronted with another person's suffering is to be empathetic. To be empathetic. And if you're not familiar with what empathy means, listen, it means for you to give room to the person's suffering. It doesn't have to last for a day, a month, six months, a year. But if our initial response isn't one of mercy that comes from empathy, We've lost our opportunity to make an impact for Jesus in that case. And so much, listen, so much of what's happening in our world today is a direct result of people who aren't willing to be empathetic. We're so unwilling to be empathetic to one another. And here's the thing. Peter addresses that in his closing remarks in chapter 5. And so I've entitled the message tonight, Closing Remarks, right? Parting words. This is what 
This is what Peter's going to leave them with in this first letter. And so I just want to jump into to, to these closing remarks. There's just a few of them I want to go over that Peter has. Again, we didn't go through this verse by verse, right? We took a, we took a little bit of a higher view through this letter that Peter wrote. And in chapter 5, he leaves these parting words. And here's the first words I want to remind us of, and that's this, that we are cared for. We are a people who are cared for. No matter how much suffering we endure, we are people who are cared for. Listen to, to 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. Peter writes these words. To the elders, overseers, bishops among you, I appeal, Peter says, as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds, overseers, right, of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Listen, here's what Peter says to a group of people. Again, context is everything, right? It's the, it's the reality of what we're dealing with in the world. Context is everything, right? The context of the suffering Christians for something they did not do. They were not guilty of burning Rome. These Christians had not set the city on fire. Nero simply used them as a political scapegoat so that he would have the attention drawn away from him as a person who more than likely set fire to his own city. And yet, these suffering Christians who are now strangers and aliens, here's what Peter says, you're cared for. You're cared for. Listen, the role of a shepherd, a role of an elder, we call them elders in our church, right, is to care for the flock of Jesus, to oversee them. Paul, talking to a group of elders in Ephesus, said this in, in Acts 20. One of the most powerful speeches, Paul's, Paul's leaving and never going to see these people again. A church he's planted, a church he spent three years with, teaching and training and living with. He says this to him. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He says to these elders, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Talk about parting words. Therefore, here's what he says. I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Listen to what he says to the elders of this church. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Listen, here's what you need to know as a, as a partner, right? A participant in the church at Tomoka, you're cared for. There's, I, I'm not sure that there's a more difficult 
role in the church of Jesus than being an elder, a shepherd. And yes, we have, we have men here who are non-paid overseers of this flock. Good men. Men who love Jesus and men who care deeply for you in this church. We have other overseers and elders and pastors that serve here as well. You're a, you're a blessed group and whether, whether you're in Palm Bay or whether you're in Deland, right? Whether you're here in Ormond or whether you're online, listen, you're cared for. Part, listen, part of what people want to know and need to know to survive suffering is that they're cared for. Listen, the role of an elder in a church is to shepherd the people, to protect them and feed them and care for them, right? That's the role of a shepherd with sheep, right? Is to make sure that they're protected and cared for. That's the role of the elders here at Tomoka. And again, as a multi-site church with campuses in multiple locations, we have been blessed with paid shepherds in Pastor Michael and Deland and Pastor David in Palm Bay and other men who have stepped up in that role. And you have them here in Ormond as well. And to those of you that are online, all of you tonight, as a part of the church of Jesus, I just want you to know that part of Paul's or Peter's parting words to these suffering people are words that you and I can use today because many of you, as, as Joe preached this weekend, already talked about some of the suffering that you're going through, sitting out there and listening, right? The reality is millions of people are suffering today. And, and millions of people who are suffering have nobody to care for them. Listen, our elders, our pastors, our shepherds, and they care for you. This isn't about running an organization, right? There are business aspects of, of being a nonprofit in the world today and hiring employees and paying taxes and carrying insurance on a building, right? On multiple buildings. But Tomoka Christian Church isn't about running an organization. Yes, there are issues of stewardship and faithfulness that we have to adhere to, which is why we have employees on our campuses to make sure those parts are being taken care of. But ultimately, this is the flock. This is the church that Jesus shed his blood for. Listen, the value in this place was given to us by his, by our Savior who said, I'm going to, I'm going to give my life up. That's how important this is to me. And he did just that. Elders have been trusted to care for the people, the flock. Because what did he say? We're under attack. Listen, people, people in our, in our church, people in your campus in Deland and Palm Bay and people online. Listen, there are wolves in sheep's clothing who simply, who's simply carrying out the will of their father, the devil, whose desire it is to steal, kill, and destroy. Shepherds and pastors and elders are put in place to make sure those things don't happen here. You're cared for. At Tomoka Christian Church, you're cared for. By a wonderful group of men as elders. And listen, the Bible teaches that there are, that there are overseers for women, right? That older women should teach younger women, that we should pass these things down from generation to generation. 
But whether you're a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, whether you're married or single, whether you're divorced or not, the reality is this, as a person who's a part of the church at Tomoka, you're cared for. You're cared for because there are shepherds, there are elders in, in these places to do just that. Because this is the entity that Jesus gave his life for. Peter's second parting words are this, that you're too tall. You're too tall. Listen to, listen to verses 5 through 7 of 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter says this, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Joe talked about this weekend, we've lost the idea of following directives, right? Of being obedient, right? Peter says, listen, if you're younger, submit yourself to your elders. It's a matter of authority. All of you. But he, 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 he doesn't get stuck there, right? Because he says, says this, all of you, right? Let's all just say that together. All of you, right? Wherever you're at tonight, wherever you're watching at, right? Wherever you tune into this, that's you and that's me. So all of us, what are we to do? Clothe ourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You're too tall. You see, the idea of humility is about position. Right? It's about where you're at in relationship to something above you. Right? There's, you know, listen, I've always been tall. I've been blessed with being tall um, for me, right? Not, not, I'm not dissing somebody who's not. But the reality is for me that being tall has been something I've been for as long as I can remember. Even when I was in grade school, I was always the tallest kid in my class or the top two. I've always been fortunate in my mind to be tall. Because there were so many, in my mind, there were so many uh, good things that came with being tall that fit my life. The problem is, is that when it comes to spiritual height, the lower to the ground one is, the better and, it, and at the core of humility and pride, we get to the core issue of exactly what Satan did in the garden with Adam and Eve. Because ultimately, is what Joe said this weekend is true. Joe talked about the humility of Naaman, right? At the end of the day, listen, humility and pride are a battle for authority. And Peter's admonition, his parting words to these suffering Christians in Asia Minor... For, for a crime they did not commit, right? He said, listen, humble yourself. Humble yourself to everyone. And that means you can't be too tall, right? You can't see yourself above other people. Humility is the idea, the actual Greek word means depression. right? It's, it's something that's pressed down. It's depressed into the fabric. Our lives as Christians are to be lived with humility, not arrogance and pride, right? I mean, listen, we talk about people and their talent, right? Listen, we have so many talented people on our staff. Stuff, they can do stuff that I, 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 can, I don't even know what they're talking about sometimes. But most of us have an area like that. Listen, our talents are only useful to God if they come in the form of a humble servant. Listen, Jesus was God in the flesh. The world that was created in six days 
It says that God spoke. That spoken word that brought the world into existence, that was Jesus. And yet the Bible says in Philippians 2, listen, listen to this. It says in Philippians 2, Paul writes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, right? That depressed state that's not too tall. He said, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. Because he goes on to say this, Jesus, being in the form of God, didn't hang on to that, but humbled himself. Meaning he, listen to this. He lowered himself below your status so that he could raise you up. That's what humility is. And listen, the opposite is pride. It's the unwillingness, right? The, the Greek word for pride means to stand against, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my stand, right? It says that, that God gives grace to the humble, but God opposes the proud, Right? Humility is the idea of, of standing under others. And listen, there's so, there's, listen, there's so much struggle in people today to find self-worth, right? To find value. It's been, listen, it's been a struggle forever and a day, right? Every person struggles with, am I enough? Right? What was the song we said today? I'm not enough, right? Not for a minute. Right? But the reality is, is that my worthiness and your worthiness as followers of Jesus comes in the form of Jesus' value that he placed on us. And how did we get that value? How did we receive the love of a man who was willing to die for us, even though he wasn't guilty? Humility. And here's the thing about humility. Peter says this, you got to clothe yourself with humility. Talk about a verse that's, that's ripe for our day and age. He says, clothe yourself with humility. The Greek word for clothe there is an interesting Greek word. Only time found in the New Testament is right here. And it simply means it's the act of putting on an apron. It's the picture that used to be used of a slave who would adorn himself with an apron to prepare to serve others. To put himself below others' needs. And here's what he said. You've got to clothe yourself with humility. It's a verb, right? It's, a, it's an action in the past that you personally do that has effects into the future. It's an aorist, right? It's the idea that, listen, look, look at the world we live in today. Our world needs a lot more humility and a lot less pride. And, and if all it takes to heal our country is for us to put others before us. That's what humility does. Do nothing out of selfish or vain conceit. But in humility, but in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. Listen, some of you need to take some of your Facebook posts down. Some of you need to close out your account completely. Some of you need to stay off of Twitter and Instagram. Because at the end of the day, we're trying to show people how much God loves them. And prideful, arrogant Christians who do things out of selfish ambition, self-interest, or vain conceit are not working for the right cause. 
And, and, and listen, as a, as a, uh, as a person who struggles, has struggled mightily with pride and arrogance and selfish ambition, this doesn't come from a person who's not walked and not walking this path. Being physically tall isn't just all that comes with it sometimes. Everything else that is arrogant and prideful comes with it too. It's a part of the journey, a large part of the journey. The, the continual part of my journey with Jesus is all about that. It's about no matter where you're at and what conversation you're in or what's going on, you always consider others more important than yourself. The Bible says that Jesus made himself nothing. We're so afraid to make ourselves nothing. And here's why. Because we don't know our own value and our own worth through Jesus' eyes. And so we're constantly seeking to find our value and affirmation through our work, right? Through relationships with other people, whether it's a, a, a friend, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, a wife, through our children, right? The reality is what we need is a proper foundation of the understanding of our value in the eyes of God and his son, Jesus, and here's our value. Jesus shed his blood as an innocent so that you and I could be lifted up. He made himself nothing so that we could become everything. And he was willing in humility to give what he earned to us free. Man, when you have a great understanding of how your value stays true in God's eyes every day, no matter what, you don't have to constantly fight to be the tallest person in every room. You don't have to always, in your pride, post back on Facebook and respond to your, to your spouse or to your kids. Listen, we're too tall. We're too tall. Here's what James says. James 4 says this. You adulterous people, unfaithful people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity or tension or friction, right, against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously, jealously longs for the spirit? He is caused to dwell in us. God's desire is for connection to himself through the spirit. Listen to this. But God gives us more grace. That's why scripture says this. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. That Greek word for oppose, it's a military term. Right? It, God stands in an ordered in an ordered measure against us as our enemy. And not just people who refuse to accept Jesus, right? Joe talked about the pride that we have to overcome uh, to be able to, to accept Jesus, to even receive him initially. But what about for those of us that did? What about for those of us that through the powerful conviction of the spirit, we surrendered in humility to God and became poor in spirit? So we could receive the kingdom of heaven, but now find ourselves in a world completely divided, struggling to not be prideful, struggling to not do things out of selfish ambition, our own vain conceit. Listen, we're too tall. What the world needs is shorter people spiritually, people who are lower to the ground. We lost a great, we, we lost, we've lost several great saints over the last 72 hours, several. Men and women that I was honored to get to meet. And they'll always be rem remembered by me as men and women who were humble and served the Lord. But, but Pastor Ed, 
stands out to me because I was able to serve with Pastor Ed on staff here at Tomoka. One of the most humble servants of God I've ever met. He didn't care about being a superstar. He didn't care if everybody knew his name. The praise that Joe gave him this past weekend about how he stood in the gap to help us realize to stay in Ormond. And this became our, our home of Tomoka here in Ormond. Listen, that's the most praise that Ed had received. And that was more than he probably ever wanted. As Linda, his wife said, in everything, in everything, in every aspect of his life, she said, he chose to be least so that he could be great. He never put himself about other people, whether in his home, whether in his job or whether in his church. How about us? How many of us are too tall right now? How many of us are just stuck in being, being prideful? We need to be less tall. We need to clothe ourselves with an apron of slavery and be willing to serve those around us. Peter gives another parting word in, in, in verse, in verse eight. First Peter five, eight says this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Listen, you're wanted. <laughs> you're wanted. So, so I don't know if it's true. It seems like so many people in the world have dismissed the reality of a spiritual fight. Listen, if you're a, if you're a believer in Jesus, there's an enemy to your life. There's a force of evil in our world whose sole interest in you comes from his sole desire to be God. And so you've become important to this enemy because you've chosen to believe in a God that he hates and that he wants to dethrone. And so that fight and that war that the devil has waged for centuries against Against the true God, he now wages against you and me. Because his desire, his desire is to dethrone, is to dethrone that God in your life. And so P Peter gives us some unbelievable descriptions, right? He says he's a roaring lion seeking to devour us. You don't need to know the Greek to get a picture there, right? His desire is to see us killed and destroyed. And he's after us. Listen, in these, these admonitions about being too tall and not being humble, but being arrogant and prideful, right? These admonitions of being holy, of not returning evil for evil, not returning insult for insultless. And all of those are directives that God gives us that the power of the Holy Spirit makes it possible for us to do. Satan's desire is for you not to do that. And so here's what he says. You need to be alert and sober. Right? First Peter 4, 7, Peter had already reminded, uh, reminded us of this. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. How about First Peter 1, 13? He had addressed it before. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus is revealed at his coming. Listen. Now, that the Greek word there for sober means not drunk. We've said, we've said that means, listen, be sober minded. Okay. When the Greek word with, when the Greek word mind is added to it, it's clear what that means, right? 
And so there's, there's, listen, I'm not going to get into the debate of alcohol. We've talked about that a bunch. The reality is, is that when our senses are dulled and we're not on guard, we are accessible by the enemy. Because once again, your worth and his desire for you comes from his sole desire to be the throne or to be on the throne, to be God. It's what it was at the beginning. It's got, that's what got him fired and got him removed from his, his job in heaven, right? As a, as a lead guardian angel and a worship leader. It's what has motivated him throughout the years to see lives destroyed and he's not done. Second Corinthians 11, Paul gives us a little bit of insight as to how the devil works. Listen to this. He said, I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. False teachers. He said, for such people, false teachers, these people that are claiming that Paul's nothing and that their gospel is better, their truth is, is better. He said, for such people, listen to this, are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. And Paul said it this way to a church in Ephesus in Ephesians six twelve: Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We've said, I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. When we, when we turn on each other, and, I, and I'm talking to Christian people, okay? I'm talking to people who've been washed in the blood of Jesus and claim allegiance to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When we wrestle against flesh and blood, we're missing the point. We're doing exactly what the enemy wants us to do. This is not a fight in our world today. This is not a fight about black and white. Not for the church. This is not a fight about politics. Not in the church. Our fight is against an enemy of spiritual power and wickedness and evil that is completely designed with schemes and plans and ordered steps to destroy our lives. And the problem is, is when the church gets involved in these, in these conflicts that are flesh and blood, listen, we lose our spiritual authority in these places. This world is not our home. This is not, we're soldiers, sojourners and strangers and aliens. Our job is to make it hard for people to reject Jesus. So he says, you're wanted. You and I are wanted individuals. The enemy's desire is to see us wiped out, down and out. Completely misfocused on the fight. Listen, it is, it is my sincere desire as a pastor at Tomoka Christian Church and as a Christian who's a father of five and a grandfather of seven, who's married and has lived in this community for 10 years. It is my desire that the church rise above this and stop wrestling with flesh and blood 
and start making this about the one thing that matters. And that's making sure that people, that people have an honest opportunity to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Right? This was said years ago in Bible college. I don't know where it started, but it's just so true. You might be the only word of God that people ever see. You might be it. Before I knew a Bible existed and had ever read a word in a book, I met the living word of God through Ray and Debbie Dial. And then I met the living word of God through Clinton Susie Williams. And then I met the living word of God through Vicki Tarr and Dale Drake and Mike Nepper and Mark Richardson and Steve Greiner and Jim Harvey. And the list goes on. And that was before I ever picked up the Bible. We have, we have such an unprecedented time, church, to make the name of Jesus great. But we got to know we're wanted. There is a spiritual force in the world whose desire, whose desire is to, one, lie. It's his only weapon. He masquerades as something that's righteous. And yet, when we fight against flesh and blood, we lose our spiritual authority. Our spiritual authority is over the devil. We are under the covering of the blood of Jesus in the name of Jesus. When we exercise that authority in the spiritual realm, not in this realm. Right, The God of this age, Paul says, has blinded the eyes and the minds and the hearts of men and women so they can't see the truth. The authority, the authority is spiritual. And as a church, as the church, as the embodiment of Jesus in the world today, we need to exercise that authority, not over flesh and blood, but in that world. By not being too tall, right? By submitting ourselves to the care of a shepherd. Because at the end of the day, here's Peter's parting word to us. And that's this. We're not alone. Listen to verse 9 of 1 Peter 5. He says, resist him. That's the devil. Stand firm in the faith. Because you know, listen to this. Because you and I know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Your story and my story, they're different. And so when we talk about our stories and our struggles, one of the temptations that we fight or one of the, one of the lies that we tend to fight is this is that nobody, nobody's going to get me. Nobody's going to know anything about what I'm struggling with. That's simply just a lie because here's the thing. The color of your pages might be different than the color of mine. But they're all part of the same coloring book. We all know what suffering is. And so, listen, I, I don't know what you're suffering through today. I don't. I don't know what you suffered through yesterday. And I certainly don't know what you're going to suffer through tomorrow. But I know this. You're not alone. And in a church where you're cared for, right, in a church where you're cared for, there's a place for you to go to be reminded that you aren't alone in this. I mean, from the very beginning, the devil's desire was to divide, to separate us from God, us from his love, us from his protection, us from his promise. So it's no surprise then that the devil spends a large majority of time convincing people how utterly unique an individual their story is, so much so that not one person would get me. That is simply not true. Because every person 
that you encounter has suffered. And they may not have suffered the way that you've suffered. But everybody knows what it feels like to carry an emotional weight that weighs us down so far that we don't want to get out of bed. We don't want to go to work. We don't want to take a shower. We don't want to brush our teeth. We don't want to do anything. We barely even want to survive. I'm guessing that most human beings know that. And so Peter says, listen, I'm not an Asia minor. And I'm not suffering at the hands of a lie by a corrupt politician. But he says, I can tell you this, that all around the world, all around the world, believers are suffering too. And I would say that to you today. And there are places in your, listen, there are places in our church, on your campus, where you can find fellow, fellow sojourners who are along the same path of suffering. That's why we have, that's why we have groups like Grief Share. It's a particular kind of suffering. It's why we have divorce care, right? It's why we have cancer support. Because there are particular kinds of suffering that we want to. But listen, part of the benefit of doing life in a circle, in a community group, is so that you can share in the sufferings of others. As we all share in the sufferings of Jesus. You're not alone, Peter says. And those words ring as true today as they did when Peter wrote them. You're not alone. James says this in James 4, in verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves. Before the Lord, and He'll lift you up. Listen, part of part of our victory is in making sure that we fight the devil. And you would say, Well, how would we fight the devil? It's really simple. Submit yourself to God. When you put yourself under the authority of God, you're protected from the devil. He has to flee from you. Because once you take your stand there, he'll flee. But again, So many of us find ourselves wandering outside of the realm of God's protection and authority because we're afraid to be too small. We want to be plenty tall. We don't want to be humble. We don't want to wear the apron servant. And we find ourselves in situations where we're calling on the name of Jesus, right? We're calling on the name of Jesus and we're using this authority. The problem is we're using it in the authority of the flesh and blood world and it doesn't work there. It works spiritually over the devil and the enemies of our own existence. Our job in the flesh and blood world is to do what Pastor Ed did. Not worry about making your name great. And not worry about being right. And never hurling insult for insult. And never repaying evil for evil. But to clothe ourselves with humility. Because we always consider others more important than ourselves. Peter wraps up this fine letter and he says this in the final couple verses. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and he will make you strong and he will make you firm. Bring that back up. And he'll, and he'll make you firm and he'll make you steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. 
it's quite a, uh, it's quite a season of life that we find ourselves in. All of us, Christian, not believer, not, it's a, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough time. And millions and millions and millions and millions of people are suffering. Just like those people who were suffering that Peter wrote to, we have such a great opportunity, church. Every house, every neighbor, and every coworker and friend and enemy that God has placed us near, it's an opportunity for us to do exactly what God's desire is for us to do. To be the light of the world, salt of the earth. So that when they see our good deeds, they'll glorify our Father in heaven. So church, take advantage of this opportunity. We said this at the beginning of COVID-19. Somebody said this, we quoted it. The church was made for this. (laughs) I think this was what God was preparing us for. We were made for this. The civil unrest, this cultural unrest, this sinful racism, this is what the church was made for. We were made to be the only voice that matters in this world today. And that's by doing it right and making it hard for people to go to hell from this generation. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Peter. I So much, so much. He wrote so much, so much to cover. And yet so much of what he wrote to suffering people in a strange land applies to the world we live in because, man, it has become a strange place for so many of us. Yet suffering, it isn't unique. We all face it. Jesus faced it. We face it. Make us empathetic people, God, to people suffering. Convict us to not be too tall, but to clothe ourselves with humility and always consider others more important than ourselves. God, convict us and show us how to live such good lives among the pagans that they see our good lives. And that foolish talk is silenced. That they're ashamed of their criticism of us. Father, make us ambassadors of the only message that matters. And that's the message of hope found in your son, Jesus, I pray in his name. Amen.